This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I've titled this morning, The Crafting of a World Changer. The Crafting of a World Changer. Um, The baptism of the Holy Spirit is such an interesting subject. There are a few subjects in the body of Christ that are, they're almost like the Holy Grail. Everybody's got their ideas about them. Everybody's got their thoughts about them. Everybody's got their beliefs about them. And don't touch it. There are a few like that. One of them is eschatology. Everything about end times and what's happening to Jesus and what's going Everybody's got their beliefs. And it's like, you can believe whatever you want. Just don't touch mine. And so what I'm going to present to you today is, well, let me, t- let me tell you this. So I was born again, and then I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so I speak in tongues, but the challenge for me was this. When I read the Bible, the Bible said that the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was not tongues. It was power. Oh, and so the thing is, in our lives, we have to really get honest with ourselves and sit and say, if that really was the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, did I really get the full experience? I don't know how to put it this way, but there's a side to me that's like, no, I don't believe so for me. I'm just talking about me. And so it took me on a little bit of a journey of exploration to sit and say, if I was supposed to have got this, how come it's not apparent in my life? Because the problem's not God. There are other people who've got it. God's been consistent. The thing with it is, is that there's something, what's happening that I perhaps aren't realizing what it is that he has available to me? Um, Is there just a a dimension perhaps I'm not fully appreciating of what it is that he's trying to do? And so because of that, I went on a little bit of a mission of exploration. So what I'm going to present to you today is some of the stuff that I've discovered, which is not my opinion It's the word of God. So take it, jot down your notes. And what I would encourage you to do is you go and get with the Holy Spirit. And I believe that he'll be able to, he'll direct you into all truth more than I can. Okay. But that, that was the, that was the starting point for me. I think the thing about the Holy Spirit is that there are a lot of questions about stuff like that. Everybody you speak to wants to know, well, did I get the baptism of the Holy Spirit when I got born again, or is it a separate experience? Did I get the whole one, or can you get it more than once? What exactly, how does it come? When it speaks about speaking in other tongues, what does it mean? Can I just shamatata, or is there something more when it speaks about it's not just putting words out, but the Holy Spirit gives you utterance? There's, There's a lot that goes with this whole thing, and so it's quite an interesting subject to explore. Um. So anyway, let's just dig in. What I'm going to do is I'm going to dig out of a few little things from last week because it's important that we just have a little bit of a refresher because it sets up what I was doing today. And so let's start off by reading in Acts um, chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 4 and 5, and then I'm going to go on to verse 8. This is Jesus talking, okay? And so he says, And being assembled together with them, he's talking about his disciples, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for the promise of the Father. Which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What's important about 
what's happening in this place is that Jesus is having a discussion with the disciples and he's inviting them into a realization that things are about to change in a very material way. What he was saying to them was this. I, Jesus said to them, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What he was saying to them is, everything that you've seen in me was a physical representation of who the Father is. Everything that I did was here to demonstrate to you who the Father was and what it was all about. But what he was saying is, it's better for you that I go away so that the Spirit can come. What he was saying is, we are entering a new dimension. It's going to be the dimension um, of the Spirit. It's the dispensation of the Spirit. It's no longer a God who's going to be tangible and outside there that we gain access to, but we're entering a whole new disposition, a whole new dimension, and that dimension is going to be characterized by the Spirit giving evidence to the Father inside of who you are. So it's very different. And the thing is, it was something that they weren't accustomed to because they were, walking, they were accustomed to walking with Jesus. So he starts to talk to them about this. And as he's chatting to them and he's speaking to them about the, the, the Holy Spirit coming, he says to them something really important. He says, you need to go and wait at Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. Now, understand this. Jesus is already, when he's talking to them at this point, has already been crucified and he was risen from the dead. Okay? He's talking to those disciples who are mine. So, in other words, they were born again at this point. So, he's talking to people who are born again. And what he's saying to people who are born again, people who already have the Spirit of Christ in them, he's saying it's important for you to go to Jerusalem and wait in Jerusalem for the baptism of the Spirit. What's important for Jesus is this. As we begin to move into the spiritual arena and we begin to engage God in that space, it's important for us that we have the fullness of the Spirit. What I mean by the fullness of the Spirit is this. It's not only the Spirit of Christ on the inside of you, but it's the Spirit of power upon you. What he was saying was, you are already born again. You have the spirit of Christ inside of you. You are my child. All things are passed away. You've become a brand new creation. You have the spirit of Christ living on the inside of you. The spirit of Christ is there, but you only have part of it. What he was saying was, go and wait, because the other part, so that you have the fullness of the spirit, is going to come upon you. The spirit of power marries the spirit of Christ. The spirit of Christ is in you. The spirit of power comes upon you. When you have this, you will be witnesses for me. So the one thing that's really important for us is recognizing the fact that everything that God is going to do in the dimension of the spirit is going to do, have to do with spirit. He's going to meet with us inside of who we are. It's spiritual. The Spirit of Christ comes into us the moments that we get born again. But that's only part of the story. For the fullness of the Spirit, we need to have the power of the Spirit to come upon us. Um, Why don't you please pass me that water? Thanks. So here's the gist. This is a very important principle to remember. When we're talking about moving into the way that God's wanting to deal with us, when we're talking about the fact that we're in a whole new dispensation and the dispensation of the Spirit, what he's saying is Spirit has preeminence in everything. And so it's the Spirit who does the work. 
The Spirit does everything. The Spirit is the one who authors, and the Spirit is the one who finishes. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the, says the Lord. What he's wanting for us to recognize is the fact that what the Holy Spirit is going to do in us, he is the one who's going to empower and be responsible for doing everything. It's not up to us. He is wanting us to recognize and view and have an appreciation for the fact that the Spirit is to be the source of our life. And so one thing that I've began to realize is that there are some times where things are immediate, but very much, very often, if you think about people's lives, God works through it with us through process. He sets us up for things. That's the principle. You never just got born again one day because you woke up. The Bible says that you were drawn by the Spirit. What ends up happening is the, the Spirit was working in your life. We didn't even recognize it. Every one of us was. The Spirit was busy working in our life. What was he doing? He was bringing us to a place where we recognized our need for a Savior. But at that point, once he had been working in your life for whatever period of time, and it'll be different for each one of us, we got to the point where we recognized that he had something for us. And all of a sudden it was like, I need him as a savior. And when I recognized my need for him as a savior, what happened? The spirit of Christ, the spirit of Christ came in and took up residence on the inside of me. All of a sudden everything changed. He resides and he lives on the inside of me. The funny thing about it is this, as he begins to work on the inside of us, it's not just that he leaves us in that place, but just as the Holy Spirit was working and bringing us to a place where we recognized our need for him as a savior, I believe that once the Spirit of Christ comes on the inside of us, he's not just sitting there not doing anything. The Spirit is alive and he's working on the inside of us. And what I want to show you today is this, that maybe Part of the point of what the, what the Spirit of Christ is doing on the inside of us is bringing us to a place where we're able to position ourselves in a space where we're able to receive the Spirit of power coming across upon us. I think that we maybe have been well-intentioned, but I, and part of my, my time was spent in a charismatic church, one separate to this, where it was you get born again, and the minute you got born again, then you just prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit. And I'm not sure that that is quite right. I'm not saying you can't play for people, just listen to what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I believe it's right, I believe it's for us, but I think that the thing is the Holy Spirit takes us to a place and positions us in a space where we're ready to truly pray for the, the baptism of the Spirit, where we're truly able to receive the, the Spirit of power coming upon us. And I think sometimes in our haste to just get born again, we don't always realize the fullness of what that experience is about. I know you're wondering if I'm actually quite right with that. So just stick with me because I'm going to show you from scripture actually what I, why I think that. I believe that the work that the Holy Spirit does on the inside of us, the work that the Spirit of Christ does on the inside of us is introducing us and changing us, affecting us to the fullness of who Christ is. It's taking the Father and introducing us to the truth of who the Father is. He's touching and changing and transforming us. And that transformational work is something which is separate to the work of the spirit of power coming upon me, but it's indispensable to it. Unless he does that work, unless he prepares us, unless he gets us ready for that space, it's difficult for us to walk into the fullness of the spirit of power coming upon us. There are people who have done it, but not everybody. Most of the body of Christ doesn't have that. Just be honest. 
Look at it. Look at the disciples. Look at what the disciples did. Have a look at contemporary people. Have a look at the Smith Wigglesworths. The exciting thing is it's available. The question is, why don't I have it like that? And so I started to have a look at those kind of things, and it was interesting for me. But we spoke last week, if you have a look at 2 Corinthians 3, verse 3, it says that you are a, a letter of Christ, delivered of me, not written with ink, but written by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but of tablets of human heart. What he's saying is this, the Spirit of Christ that's alive on the inside of you, he's busy crafting you because you are the letter he is sending to the world. You are the letter. So the thing is, if he's authoring the letter, he doesn't want you to take yourself to the world. He wants you to take him to the world. The fact of the matter is, I don't know exactly who he is. I don't know what he's all about. So I become completely dependent on the spirit of Christ inside of me to begin to do some stuff, to introduce me to the truth of who the father is, to begin to shift and change some stuff in my life. Because what is he doing? He's crafting me as a letter to go to the world. He's crafting in me a letter so that when I meet people, people should sit and say, when I met you, I met the father. That's his job. That's what he's busy doing on the inside of us. Something interesting happened to Jesus. Ironically, when Jesus came to earth, <laughs> scribes and the Pharisees were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for him. And they completely missed him. You know why? Because they had an agenda. And they had a preconceived idea of who the Messiah was, what he was going to be, how he was going to do it, and what it was going to look like. And as a result of that, they completely missed Jesus. When the Spirit of God comes into our life and begins to work in our life, too often what ends up happening is he comes face to face with the fact that we have a personal agenda. I've got an idea about who God is and how God's going to work and what it's going to look like and what he's going to do for me and how he's going to move me and how he's going to shake me and what's going to happen in my life. I've got a whole agenda at play. And the purpose of the spirit of Christ coming into that place is to sit and say, you know what? I understand you've got an agenda and I love you, but it's horribly off the mark. So will you surrender yourself to me and will you allow me to influence that space so that I can introduce you to truth? Will you move yourself to a position where you sit and say, Holy Spirit, I'll tell you what, I have no clue what the agenda looks like. I have no clue what you're wanting to do in my life, but I'm completely dependent on you. I want to thank you that as you take the things of Christ, as you take the things of him and introduce him to me, all of a sudden I'm beginning to move to a space where I'm beginning to allow you to influence my agenda. My agenda determines what I deliver to the world. And as long as I'm the one who's defined my agenda, they never ever get to see him. They get to see me. I'm called to be a witness. I'm called to be a witness. Most Christians don't see the purpose of God in their life as for them to be a witness. Many Christians see the purpose of God in their life to indulge them. I'm to be a witness. Witness is recognizing the fact that the spirit of the Christ 
It's working on the inside of me, is crafting me, is changing me, is introducing me to the Father, is introducing me to truth. It's taking my agenda and rewriting the things on my heart so that I have a disposition and an expectation that is completely in line with who he is. He's doing something inside of me. He's not only doing something inside of you, but should I tell you something? When he's done something on the inside of you, it's going to create on the inside of you a spiritual friction. You put this inside of me, but I don't see it. You promised me some stuff, but I don't see it. What did Paul say? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. My speech and my preaching were not with enticing words and the wisdom of men, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. He's not just talking about his preaching. He says, my words. What is he saying? I recognize the fact that I was a letter. I'm being crafted by the Spirit of Christ on the inside of me. He's done some stuff on the inside of me. And I recognize my responsibility as a witness to him is to take the truth of who he is and introduce it to the world. The problem with it is I have the Spirit of Christ inside of me. But unless I have the power of Christ that comes upon me, I don't deliver the word in the demonstration of the Spirit and in power. I deliver it in the wisdom of men. The church is so well motivated and there are so many people who have a deep heart and hunger for the things of God, but we don't deliver what the Spirit is doing on the inside of us in a demonstration of power. We deliver it in the wisdom of men. Our nation is a classic example. The people who are proponents of abortion just don't have an appreciation and a value for life. So when the moment we take the wisdom of men and start telling them how important life is and what life should be like and why they're wrong, what ends up happening is we polarize people as opposed to having a meaningful change and transformation of them. It's a heart issue. The problem with it is we're well motivated, but we take our reasoning to the world and we tell them you need to have an appreciation and a value for life, but they don't have. Why? Because it's either it's birthed in your heart or it isn't. The thing is when you deliver it in the spirit and in power, what ends up happening is there's a transformation that happens inside of them. And all of a sudden there's something that resonates and sits and says, I can't do that. How could I kill somebody? Why? Because it was in the demonstration of the power of the Spirit. There were people who spend their lives with their psychology divorced from their physiology. They're living in a, a, a place where they're divided against themselves and they cannot reconcile the two. And we want to tell people why it is that they need to do that. And they sit and say, well, I know what you believe, but this is what I believe. And the fact that you can't accept me means that the church is a place of hate. Why? Because I approached them from the enticing words of knowledge rather than sitting saying, you know what, can I just pray for you? I'll tell you what, Father, I just want to thank you for how much you love this person. And I want to thank you, Father, that you bring together a marriage between their psychology and their physiology. And you can do some stuff in their heart and bring about change and transformation in a way that I can never do it. Why? Because there's a difference between approaching our world and taking things of God, becoming a witness and a letter for him that brings about change and transformation, that introduces things in the power of the Spirit rather than in the wisdom of men.
Wait. Wait until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Wait until the promise of the Father has come upon you. Then you can go like Christ in the power of the Spirit. We don't wait. We don't always wait. The Spirit of Christ is going to do something in your life. And waiting is an invitation to let him do that. Waiting is not a passive state. I'll speak about it in a minute. I'm just giving you. Waiting is an active state. It's living in a state of intimate relationship with the Spirit where I'm responding to him and I'm obeying the invitations that he extends to me with regularity. I'm not just sitting there waiting, hoping something happens. I understand in order for me to change, he's going to sit and say, you know what? I want to work on this. I'll tell you what, I'd like you to go and do this. I'll tell you what, go and pray for that person. It doesn't matter if you haven't been baptized yet. You don't need to know why he wants you to do what he wants you to do. All you need to do is live from a disposition of waiting. Live from a disposition of obedience. If he asks you to do something, do it. Do it. Why? Because I understand I'm on a mission. I'm setting myself up. I'm opening myself to you, Spirit of Christ. I want to thank you for what you're doing in me because you're moving me to a place where when I'm fully immersed in who you are, when I have Christ established on the inside of me, when I see myself as a vessel and in a, a personal letter written to the world, I can live in the expectation that the Spirit of power comes upon me. He's doing something in you. Wait until the promise comes, and then you will go in power. And when they went in power, things happened. When they went in power, stuff changed. When they went in power, they turned the world upside down. Are we turning the world upside down? What does your world look like? The thing about it is, God's interaction with us is so hugely personal. I read the things about the disciples and I have a look at all of the people that are in the Bible, but that was their experience with God because they were running their own race. They were doing something in the context of me and him and what that's going to look like. I don't know what your world is going to look like with you and him. It's not going to be like mine. It's not going to be like the person next to you including your husband or your wife. Why? Because you've got your own race to run. It's okay. The thing about it is I can't give you what I've got because the problem with it is I'm running a different race to you. I can give you the principle, but the expression of that is going to be personal in your life. That's what's so different and difficult about moving into certain things because the thing is you can't give a formula and sit and say the spirit of Christ is working in your life and so if you follow these three points, you're eligible to ask for the power. Why? Because I don't know what's in your heart. And here's the shock. You may not either. Part of the reason for the spirit of Christ being on the inside of there is to reveal to you some stuff. And you're going to have, and it might surprise you, some of the stuff that's taken root in your heart. He's doing something on the inside of you because he's preparing you so that when you get to that place where he can entrust you, he will give you the spirit of power. What does your world look like? What would it look like if you could turn it upside down? 
What would you change? God knows exactly where you are, and he knows what he's called us to do. He knows what he's called you to do. And the expression of power in your life will be very different if you're a teacher, as opposed to somebody who's a business person. I don't know where you are. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know who fills your life, but he does. And you're not there by accident. The encouragement is this. Get the principle, but don't mold your life after anybody else. Understand this. The reason that intimacy with the Holy Spirit is so important is because he's touching some stuff in your life that may have not be relevant to other people. There are some times, you know what? Some people have been like, I can't drink wine. Why? Not because I have a problem. The Holy Spirit told me not to. We didn't tell the next person. The problem with it is we want to run off and say, the Holy Spirit told me that, so nobody drinks. He didn't say that. Let him work in people's life. I'm not the Holy Spirit in anybody else's life. The thing about it is what I'm trying to encourage you to do as well is this. If the Holy Spirit tells somebody else to do something, it doesn't necessarily mean it's for you. Sometimes we think, you know what? He gave that person three points and it led to this. So let me try and do what that person was doing because I'll get the same result. But you don't know what's in your heart. Only you, only the Holy Spirit does. And in that space, he's going to take that and reveal it to you because he's doing some stuff on the inside of you so that your life can shift and change and move to a place that you can be a written letter to all men, a witness to the Father. And so we have to ask ourselves some meaningful questions. Do you even want it? I don't know. You may not. There's some people who are like, I'm happy with my Christian life. I don't really want it. We have this idea, and I think it's, it's from various histories, but we have this idea that I'm entitled to everything of God's. And what I would suggest to you is, he's made it available to you, but it comes at a price. The question is, it hasn't got to do with your works. It's not something you earn from him, but it's a value proposition. He wants to know from you, how much do you value it? Let me give you an example. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. I'm not just entitled to faith because I'm born again. What it does is it says it comes at a price. What it's saying is, in order for me to hear the voice of the Spirit, it means that I have to develop a relationship with Him. It means that I have to invest in that. It means that I have to set aside time to sit and say, I'm going to get together with you, Holy Spirit. It means that maybe I move to a place where I live with prayer without ceasing, an ongoing intimate relationship with Him where we're interacting with regularity all the time. Why? Because the thing is, I'm looking for Him to take of the things of Him and introduce it to me and change my faith. It comes at a price. You don't want to invest in intimacy and time with him. I don't get faith. He's made it available. But the point is, what I'm trying to say is this. We have this idea that everything is just freely available to us. And it is. The thing about it is, do you value it? He talks about not throwing pearls before swine. There are sometimes, the thing is, in my, in my pursuit of the things of God, what I usually find is God begins to change some stuff in me.
So that by the time I get to the point of inheritance, I look back on where I was and I was like, I really wasn't actually mature enough to inherit it at, this, at that point. But I'm in a much better place right now. Imagine, imagine what the church would look like if all of us, as the body of Christ, walked around like Smith Wigglesworth. You want to talk about turning America upside down? But we look too much like the world. And we have too much wisdom and not enough power. And so God's changing some stuff. Because he's saying, you're the letter to America. And you're not going to change it by what you think. You're going to change it when I recognize, not by might, not by power, but by his spirit, some stuff is going to happen. If you don't have a heart change in the people of America, don't look for change. It's not going to happen. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. I have not seen near ear, near, nor ear heard blah, blah, blah. the things that God has in store for those who love him. We jump over that. There's a qualifier right there. He didn't say, I has not seen or ear heard the things that God has in store for believers. He didn't say that. He said, for those who love him. How do you know if you love him? He tells you. John chapter uh, 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. What he's saying is, talk is cheap. You tell me you love me. Are you responsive to my voice? If you truly love me, you're going to respond to my voice. I'll talk about that in a minute. What he's essentially saying is this. I has not seen nor ear heard the things that God has in store for those who are obedient to his voice. But the Spirit is going to reveal them to us. The point is this. The reason that he gave us the Spirit is because the thing about it is we don't know where we're going. We don't know what it looks like to be a letter. We don't know what we're ultimately going to be. What he's saying is it doesn't matter. If you live from a place of love, which translates into obedience, to what I'm telling you to do, I will walk you into who you need to be. He's going to direct us. You don't have to know it. It's not about your knowledge. It's not about your understanding. It's about your heart. And the thing is, what he's going to do is he's going to take me and look at me and shape me and change me. He's doing some stuff. He's crafting me. He's taking revelation and introducing me to a place where I'm able to inherit and steward what he gives me. Inherit and steward. He says something really important. He says the reason that you're going to receive power is very simple. So that you can be an effective letter. So that you can be a witness until we're at that place where we have a clear, this is what I believe, and I'll, I'll show you in the word why, where we have a clear heart and we understand our commission and we are established in that, 
It's very hard for us to sit and ask for the anointing of the Spirit. Because invariably, we're wanting to use it for the wrong agenda. So Jesus goes and gets baptized by John. And he gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And he goes off into the desert. And he gets tempted. And he comes out of the desert. And what is the first thing that he does? He goes into the temple. In Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 21. So he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read and was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Listen, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Jesus was born and conceived of the Spirit. He had the Spirit of the Father inside of him all the time. But he reached that place where all of a sudden he was baptized with the Spirit of power. And the Spirit of power came upon him. He doesn't say, the Spirit of the Father is within me. He says, the Spirit of power is upon me because I recognize the fact that he's commissioned me and empowered me to do something. He's, he's empowered me to be a witness of the Father. To preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everybody who was in the synagogue were fixed on him. And they began to say to them today, and he began to say to them today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He walked into that space and the message he was sending to everybody was this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to be a witness. He has anointed me to be the letter of the Father to everybody. And that's why everywhere he went, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why? Because he was healing the sick. Because he was delivering people. Because he was setting people free. Because he was liberating captives. What was he doing? He wasn't just going out and preaching the word. But he had the demonstration of the Spirit and power. We get the demonstration of the, of, the, of the spirit and power when we recognize our commission and we're established in it. Amen. So now there's a whole bunch of thought about different things. And one of the biggest things is basically there's two schools of thought when it comes to the spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some people believe that the moment that you get born again, you have the fullness of the spirit. You have both the Spirit of Christ in you and the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon you at that same moment. And then you have a second school of thought which believes the moment you get born again, you have the Spirit of Christ inside of you. And the Spirit of Christ is doing a work preparing you for the Spirit of power to come upon you, the baptism of the, the, the Spirit, separate situations. I believe in the second, and I'll tell you why. 
I'll give you three good reasons. Firstly, there are a number of scriptural examples that speak about people who had the Spirit of Christ inside of them, but they still had not been baptized by the Spirit of power. So if you have a look at um, Acts chapter 8, when Peter and John um, went down to Samaria, it says, Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They had the Spirit of Christ inside of them. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Spirit of power. It's very distinctly two different occasions. These people were born again. They had the Spirit of Christ inside of them, but they hadn't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They hadn't received the Spirit of power. And so that's why they went down there to sit and say, fine, you know what? That's what I'm going to introduce you to. The second thing is this. Have a look at the stunning example of the disciples pre and post Pentecost. The disciples pre-Pentecost were a completely different kettle of fish to the world changers who came out on the other side. You cannot deny that in that moment there was a dramatic change that took place so that when they came out of that experience, they had something that they positioned them and empowered them to be world changers. My question to you is this. How many people do you know that were born again and at the same time received the power to be a world changer? How many examples are there? I don't know any. I'm not saying God can't do anything. Anything's potentially possible with God. But I don't see that in the lives of people who are recently born again. It's not a bad thing. It means it's wonderful. But you have part. You have the spirit of Christ that's come on the inside of you. But he's doing a preparatory work with you to position you to have the spirit power come upon you. The third example is this, Jesus' words. What did he say to them? When he was speaking to the disciples at this point, they were already born again. They were his. What it means by they were his is they had the spirit of Christ living inside of them. But he says to them, it's not enough that you just have the spirit of Christ on the inside of you. I need for you to go to Jerusalem and wait. You don't leave there until the promise of the Father has come. And they had to wait for the promise of the Father. It was only once the promise of the Father had come that they had the fullness of the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ within, and the Spirit of power upon. They were clothed with power. So personally, I believe that they're two separate encounters. They're two separate places. So what is this time of preparation? Is it really something? Does it exist or is it just something that's made up? Let's have a look um, at John chapter 14. I'm going to read verses 15 and 16. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. What he's saying is this. He links two ideas. He links the idea of love and obedience. And he says, and then 
Once you've lived in a state of love and obedience, I will give you the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the fullness of the Spirit. He's not just talking about being born again. He's not just sitting saying, you know what, you have to work to get born again. The fact of the matter is, we spoke about this earlier, the Holy Spirit's always drawing people, and we come to a place where we recognize our need for him. The thing about it is, what it's really saying is this, once the Spirit of Christ has come into that place, he's inviting us to live from a place of love and an expression of obedience. And what he's doing is he's sitting saying, I'm working on the things of your heart. I'm taking the revelation of who Christ is, and I'm introducing you to a place where you're able to step into, inherit, and steward the power. But until you're at that place, I don't believe that you're going to have a conviction that it's okay for me to ask for that. What were the two things that John preached about Jesus? John the Baptist basically preached two things about Jesus. One thing was this. The lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He will anoint you with the Spirit and with power. Two things, the lamb and the anointing. He's talking about the blood and the power. The blood and the power are two fundamental elements to who we are. The thing is, as we washed in the blood of who, or once, we, once we are washed in the blood of the Lamb, we are made righteous. Legally, you're as righteous as you're ever going to be. You're not going to be more righteous than that. But experientially, we're not always as righteous as we would like to be. So what's happening? The Spirit of Christ on the inside is taking the righteousness of Christ and he's sitting saying, you know what? Let me transform your mind. Let me make you brand new. Let me take the things of him and introduce it to you so that you become a new creation experientially. And when you get to that place where he's dealt with the stuff that's in your heart, I don't know what's in there. He does. And so there's no period of time. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the next day. I, I don't know what it is. It might be periods of time. I don't know. I look at Paul. Paul went off into the desert for a few years. I'm, I don't know what it is. All I'm saying is I think it's dependent on so many variables. What's your disposition? Are you open to it? How much time do you invest in it? Are you looking for the Holy Spirit to do that? Do you love him enough to be obedient to his promptings and his invitations? All of those things are, are personal in nature. The point is, I believe that he's taking us to a place where it's not just about the blood of the lamb, but it's about the anointing of the spirit and power. The anointing of the spirit and power. You see, we want power. We want to possess power so that we can use it. The thing is, the Holy Spirit is power, and the Holy Spirit is looking for power to take possession of us so he can use us. When the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of power, has done some stuff on the inside of us so that I recognize the fact that where I go and what I'm doing in his name is not about me, but it's about me being a witness, all of a sudden power has got control of me. When I'm at that place where I let power influence my decisions, my actions, and my words. I get myself to, into a place where it's like, okay, you know what? I'm in a good place right now because power's got possession of me. Yes. Come on. So we sit and say, give me some examples. I'm so glad you asked for that. The first example is Jesus. Jesus. What happened with Jesus? Jesus was conceived of the Spirit. 
He had the spirit of the Father inside of him. He lived with the spirit of the Father inside of him. He lived a perfect life. And he gets to the place where he says, John, will you baptize me? And John baptizes him. And as he comes out, what ends up happening? I've got it written down here somewhere. Luke chapter 3, verse 22, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son. In you I am well. Why was the father well pleased in him? Uh -huh. Because he lived from, because I love you, I'll obey you. He lived from a disposition, not my will, but thine be done. What happened? Because he has a disposition and a creed to life that was in complete submission and surrender, that recognized that I love the Father so much, whatever it is that he wants me to do, I surrender to that. Whatever his invitation is, I'll move with his invitation. Whatever his will is, his will takes preeminence and dominates that area of my life. He lived from a place of not my will, but thy will be done. And so when he came to get baptized, the Father looked at him and said, well done, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He was well pleased because of the, 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 the road that he had walked. What did he do as a result of my son in whom I'm well pleased? Poured out the spirit of power upon him. Up until that point, he never had the spirit of power upon him. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. What is the key? If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will send. If we love him, we live by not my will, but by him will be done. There is a dynamic and an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit that is ongoing with a regular basis. I, I can't speak about this right now, but pay attention to your conscience. Let me tell you what I mean. Just give me two minutes, a little side thing. I'll tell you why your conscience is, is important. Because your conscience is the voice of your spirit on the inside here. And the thing is, when you get born again, the life of God comes and lives on the inside of you. And it makes you brand new. And as a result of that, what he says is, you don't have to follow the rules and regulations of everything that's written outside. Because I'm going to take my spirit and I'm going to write on the tablets of your heart. My laws. Where is he writing them? Your conscience, because your conscience speaks. He's putting them on the inside of you because your conscience speaks. You have his laws written on the inside of you. If you're soft and you're sensitive, if you develop a, a, a disposition where I'm responsive to my conscience and what it's telling me, <laughs> what it's saying to me is, here's the voice telling you, oh, that wasn't good. Not cool. Fix it. Not my will, but thy will be done. Not my will, but thy will be done. Look at the disciples. The disciples spent three years in baptism school with Jesus. Three years in baptism school. And at the end of that point, Jesus says to them, I'm telling you, something's coming. Okay, go to Jerusalem and wait in anticipation. Don't go there and just sit and chew gum and hope something happens. He said, go there because the promise of the Father is coming. 
What was he doing? I believe the reason that they got there and the belief and the reason that they spent their time in prayer because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ on the inside of them was refining those final details, fixing stuff up, sitting, saying, get this right, move that, shift it a little bit. Get it. Da, 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 da. Why? Because it's coming. I want you ready for it. Get ready. And the Spirit came upon them. And when they left Pentecost, they turned the world upside down. So is it just for the people of the Bible, or isn't it? No. We have plenty of examples of more contemporary people who had a similar experience. Smith Wigglesworth thought that he was baptized with the Holy Spirit when he was born again. He used to believe everything happened in one. And then he was like, actually, but I don't have any power. And he went searching. And he went looking. And he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and everything changed in his life. And we know the rest of that story. A.A. Allen is one of the most important healing evangelists ever. He had huge influence in people like Gordon Lindsay and T.L. Osborne. And he got born again. He had the Spirit of Christ inside of him. And it birthed a hunger in him because he was like, I don't have the power. So he went searching. And one day while he was praying, I'm going to read for you a little extract from his book. It says, I began to realize, he saw a light, and he said, I began to realize that the light was filling my prayer closet. It was God's glory. The presence of God was so real and powerful that I felt I would die right there on, this, on my knees. Then like a whirlwind, I heard his voice. It was God. He was speaking to me. This was the glorious answer that I'd sought so diligently and for which I'd waited since my conversion at the age of 23. God was talking to me. He was giving me a list of the things which stood between me and the power of God. And after each new requirement was added to the list, there followed a brief explanation explaining that requirement and why it's important. As God spoke to me, I wrote them down. When the last requirement was written down on the list, God spoke once again and said, this is the answer. When you have placed on the altar of consecration and obedience, the last thing on your list, you shall not only heal the sick, but in my name you shall cast out devils. You shall see many mighty miracles, in my, as in my name you preach the word of God. For behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. At last, there was the price I must pay for the power of God in my life, in my ministry. The price tag for the miracle-working power of God. God gave him 13 things. We don't look for 13 things. We look for the baptism. God said, you're not ready. I know it rubs against some of our doctrine. It makes us feel a little uncomfortable. But that was his experience. And if you have a look at the ministry of A.A. A. Allen, it was dramatic. The miracles that he had taking place in his life were incredible. 
Azusa Street, a bunch of believers got together because they had read about what happened at Pentecost and they were looking for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And things began to happen. And things were so dramatic and so profound that people from all over the world came there because they were looking and wanted to be touched by the Spirit of God. They had the Spirit of Christ, but they wanted to be anointed with the Spirit of power. And they say something very interesting, because when you have a look at Azusa Street, this is a quotation from a, 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 um, a book about, about them. But they understood and taught that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was an experience for those who had been saved and subsequently sanctified. Sanctified is a big word, but basically what it means is it was dependent on the Spirit of Christ within them to do some stuff in their lives to position them in a place where they could inherit something. The Bible clearly teaches that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is for those who have been truly converted, sanctified holy, and are living a victorious life without sin. That's what they said. It's interesting for me that I, I, I know what I was taught, but I don't see that in the lives of a lot of other people who demonstrated the power of the baptism. A lot of them speak about the fact that they actually got to the place where they let the Spirit of Christ within them do a work until they were able and positioned to be able to realize the baptism. Catherine Kuhlman was another one. She spent an inordinate amount of time in prayer, allowing the Spirit to do some stuff in her until finally she had an encounter with the Holy Spirit and she was baptized. And she said, and when I left that place, the one thing I knew about anything else, I had power. I had power. You don't need power for anything that they have. That was their walk. And you may not be called to a healing ministry. I don't know. Maybe you are. The question's not that. The question is, are you going to be prepared to allow the Spirit of Christ inside of you to take you to a place where you have that power? And if you were to take that power and use that power, you could turn your world upside down. I don't know what it looks like, but it'll look very different for an application for a doctor or a business person, a teacher, or a healing evangelist. But imagine what your life would look like if you had that. Imagine what the body of Christ would look like if each of us had that in demonstration and we were fitly joined together. Imagine the influence we could have in the nation. Then people would take note of what the church has to say. But right now, we just have enticing words of wisdom. But it's changing. It's changing. But it doesn't change unless the body of Christ begins to recognize their role. It doesn't change unless the body of Christ begins to understand that it's important, it's fundamental to have the Spirit of Christ on the inside of us. But if you don't let him do his work the way that he wants, we're never endued, we're never endued with power, clothed with power. So we don't walk into the fullness of what he has. My encouragement for you today is this. I can't pray for you to receive it. Hopefully you got that from today, simply because I don't know where you are in your journey. 
But what I can tell you is this. If you want to know how to receive it, it says, if your heart condemn you not, if you have a pure heart, what is it saying? There is a place that the Holy Spirit takes us to. And in that space, when we get to it, we will know it in ourselves. We have clarity of conviction. Our heart doesn't, our heart is pure. And when your heart is pure and you feel good in that space, ask for it. This is what, this is what God says in um, Luke chapter 11, verse 13. How much more shall your heavenly Father give you the Holy, give the Holy Spirit to, to them that ask him? He's waiting for you to ask. And you're going to feel comfortable being able to ask when the Spirit of Christ within you has done the work that he wants to do. I don't know what it looks like in your life. That's between you and him. But I do believe this. I believe that all of us have the opportunity to move to a space where we let the Holy Spirit come in and that anointing comes into our life and brings about the power necessary to take the fullness of what he introduces us to and deliver that letter with power. But I am going to pray for you. So I would ask for you to stand. If, you, if you're interested, I, I want to pray a very specific prayer. Let me just qualify this. If you are wanting the spirit of Christ on the inside of you to do a work in you and you're prepared to embrace a love relationship with him that is defined by obedience, I would, I would ask you to stand and I'm going to pray for you. Won't you just please put your, your hands out? I thank you for your presence, Holy Spirit. I thank you that you're here. And I want to thank you that you love every single person here, every person watching. Holy Spirit, with every person that's here today, I pray that you begin to continue that work that you've started on the inside of them. Make each one of us overtly aware, Holy Spirit, of your presence with us. Let us live in an intimate relationship of prayer without ceasing, living in that space of connection with you on an ongoing basis. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to bring your will into this space, and we surrender to it. I want to thank you, Father, that you will always remind us that it's not my will, but your will that we're to live by. Bring it to our remembrance, I pray. I want to thank you, Holy Spirit, that what you're doing on the inside of us moves us to a place where we can ask of you, we can ask of Jesus to baptize us with the Spirit and with power. I want to thank you for the truth of that. I want to thank you for the opportunity that presents to us. Father, I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you continue your work in people. I pray, Holy Spirit, that as they come to you with clear conscience, as they come to you as a place where the Spirit of Christ has established them in maturity, I want to thank you that you take your power and you clothe us with your power. I thank you for crafting world changes.
I thank you for creating people who move into their world and into their environment, who don't live by what we know, but we live by the demonstration of the Spirit in power. Change our focus, I pray. Change our dependence not on self, but let us get completely dependent on not by might, not by power, but Holy Spirit, you do it. I thank you for the opportunity to run the commission that you've sent us to. I thank you for the power to do that effectively. I thank you for lives that are transformed. I thank you for people who are liberated and set free. I thank you for people who are healed and whole. I want to thank you, Father, that where we go, we set our world upside down. I thank you that we recognized in that space as disruptors. Father, for those people who don't have a hunger right now, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you birth that hunger inside of them. Water it, fertilize it. I want to thank you, Father, for a generation, a new generation. A generation, your body of your in, in the body of Christ that lives from the Spirit of Christ, that's empowered by the Spirit of Christ. I want to thank you, Father, that it's coming together. And I want to thank you, Father, that it's through your body that you're going to touch and change this nation. In Jesus' name, amen.